Hello and welcome once again to the Games and That Podcast, the show where the only person we reach out to in dire times is old man Ulrira. I'm Andrew Fiak. And I'm Brandon Carnahan. How you doing this week, Brandon? I'm doing great, Andrew. How about you? Fantastic. I'm doing pretty good. Nice. Uh, turn the lights down in here because I feel like I'm always just glowing uh, so hard. <laughs> So turn those beams down so that people uh, aren't blinded by the light. You got to get that uh, dark mode extension on on your. Uh, your in my life, <laughs> need dark mode in my life. Dark mode. <laughs> turn down the lights. Well, yeah, I appreciate Mother Nature's dark mode. Um, <laughs> so I think we're gonna try uh, just to peel back the onion a little bit. I think we sure. want to try out a little bit of a different format this week i think brandon and i got a little stale in the hey you talk at me and then i'll talk at you and then we'll just continue to talk at each other and hopefully one of us doesn't fall asleep and can continue to moderate the conversation right you have to be very good at your (laughs) and your uh uh-huhs yep yeah i tried to solicit uh (laughs) we have tried to solicit a lot of feedback from others and i don't think there's a lot of uh engagement between brandon and i so what we're trying differently this week is instead of coming prepared with talking points about things we enjoyed about the games we've played or the betas we've tried uh instead we're going to be interviewing each other and we've come up with a couple questions that we'd like to ask the other person some might be leading some might be very broad in general but they hope to spark organic discussion and we would love to hear your feedback based on how this episode goes and if you like the new format it speaks to you. Let us Shout know. it out. Yeah, and uh, it's also worth mentioning that neither Andrew or I have seen the other guy's questions. So any answers yes. that we give, they're going to be completely off the cuff. And the, the only prep we've done is, is simply to write the questions. Everything else is on the fly. Yeah. There might be some umming and humming and eyeing, but, you know. It's probably, it's, uh, probably, probably par for the course, I would say. Par, yeah, well, it's probably, you know. <laughs> If we ever run into an issue, we'll just call Old Man Orira, and he'll tell us exactly what to do. <laughs> but before we get into that, Brandon, I want to play a little game with you. Oh, oh, goody. A little exercise. I didn't tell you about this. No, I, you didn't. This is... I'm interested. I don't know what's happening. So I want to play a word association game. Okay. You know word association. I say something, and then you tell me the first thing that comes to your mind. For instance, cheeseburgers. McDonald's. There you go. That you, perfect word association. <laughs> now what I'm going to do, Sony just had one of their state of plays yesterday. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to go down the list alphabetically of all the games that they announced and all the things that they teased in the state of play. And I just want your one word off the cuff word association to those games. Sure. And announcements. Sure. All right. Ready? Yep. After the fall for PSVR. Uh, okay. <laughs> First of all. <laughs> let's just be clear all of those psvr titles they were like they're all one title 15 second clips so this yeah. is my word association for the cl- just the clips in general was excited yeah the this this website listed everything out individually so uh yeah um 
We the next one. Just, we, just skip through the PSVR ones because they we'll all kind the of blend together. Um, Arise, a simple story. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Call of Duty Modern Warfare story trailer. Uh, cinematic. Ooh. Uh, Civilization Six. Nope. <laughs> um, Death Stranding Limited Edition PS4 Pro Bundle. Toit. Toit. Uh, Gorn for PSVR. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, humanity. Puzzling. Mm. Yes. LA Noir, the VR case files, which came out same day. Meh. Eh. Eh. Um, the Last of Us Part Two, new trailer and date of February 2020. Give it, give it to me now. <laughs> uh, the Medieval demo that came out same day. Download it. Hmm. Downloaded or download it? Download it. Ah, got it. Um, PlayStation Plus October lineup featuring MLB The Show 18 or 19. Meh. Nah. <laughs> um, and then the other two are PSVR, except for Wadham, which comes out in December, which is the sequel to, uh, spiritual sequel to uh, Katamari uh, Democracy. Cute. Cute. It's a cute game. Yeah. Um, overall, what did you think of the state of play? Um, I mean, I think aside from like the big tentpole franchises that we kind of knew we were going to see some stuff from, um, I thought it was yeah. eh, it was so so. Um, I do love that they're showing some some love for PSVR. I know I kind of like glazed over all those titles. Um, they showed a lot in that. I don't know. It was probably like a minute and a half clip. Mm-hmm. Um, There's probably five or six different ones. Um, and I, I've only, I only watched the state of play video once. So I, I did not get the all the names and associate them with uh, what they were yep. supposed to be. Um, but the two that stood out to me that I could describe to you couldn't tell you the title of them. Um, they were both like, I mean, it's VR, so they're uh, it's kind of a predisposition for like first person type stuff. Uh, but the one that looked like that uh, stealth game mm. looks super cool. They showed you yeah. like, climbing on stuff like climbing in rafters, and you had like cool little like yeah, I got silence pistols real. And stuff. Blood and Truth vibes from yeah. that one, and then the other one I can't think of what that was called, but they sh- I feel like they showed a lot of it, or maybe I was just like really like focused in on it, but it looked very like zombie, like post-apocalyptic sort of like Metro mm-hmm. vibes to it. That looked really cool as well. Yes, wasn't that like one of the very first VR games ever announced? Was that that's you were talking about the one that t- like takes place in the snow and it's like a it's a third person game, yeah. but you from no, no, the no. VR perspective you're playing isometrically. No, it was a different one. It was, it was it looked it looked first person from what they showed. Oh, okay. Wasn't there one that they showed that was like snowy and yeah, that I feel was like that, that was a rise was a long time ago. A rise, I think, is the one you're thinking of. Maybe. I feel yeah. like that's one of the first VR titles I ever saw teased. Maybe yeah, um, I'm thinking of something else, or maybe it came out as like an indie game, but now they're making it a VR experience. Could be. I, or, I mean, it might have been totally something. That, it might have been something that was. Uh, on Oculus or Vive or is on Oculus or Oh, Vive. maybe. Maybe. I don't know. That's a good thing. I'll have to look into it later. Yeah. But it doesn't matter. Uh, I'll tell you what, that Death Stranding uh, PS4 Pro bundle 
definitely won't be buying it, but if I can find a way to Dude, get my hand on that controller. Give me that controller. Right? Such a cool Man. color. Yellow, transparent. All the transparent oh. controllers they've come out with for PS4 have been sick. Like the, There's like the yeah. smoke one, and then there's a red and a blue. Those both looked awesome, but that yellow is just like so unique. Mm-hmm. I, I really Even the like console it. itself, the all-white console with just the black handprints on it, and then I saw online somebody uh, pointed out, which I totally missed the first time, is that the inside of the hand indents were actually the the a map of the world. Oh, no way. Yeah, Very so cool. it's like the right hand is like North America and South America, and then the left hand is like hmm. Africa and Russia and uh, Europe and all those. Sweet. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. Whenever, so that when they showed, like they started that like tease for the console, they showed the controller first, and I 100% thought that it was just like a new controller color scheme. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah. And when they showed it, it was a bundle, I was very quickly disappointed because I was like, mmm. But yeah, is four ninety nine too much for <laughs> a new controller? <laughs> yeah, and a backup pro just in case I get tired of my current one. <laughs> I'll tell you what, for four ninety nine, that's still more than I paid for my Spider Man Pro with the game. Oh yikes! That is also a really dope controller. That is a really the dope controller. Red. That's the all red with the white buttons, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then I got the. Do the white buttons white. actually have the color scheme on them, or no? They're are they just red. flat white. Flat white with red. Oh. Ooh. red uh, symbols is there blue on that controller there is not but i got the like the thumb grip like toppers i got a blue set of those a little contrast <sighs> you're so smart i also i picked up um some xbox one thumbsticks mm-hmm. one of my students they they had a broken controller that they brought in we did like a project where they just like took something apart just basically to see how it works just for the yep. sake of taking things apart and uh at the end of the semester i was like there's just like a bag of like Xbox controller parts. And I'm like, do you want this? Like, it's still here. Like, I'm not going to take this. And they're like, oh, just throw it away. And I was like, throw no thumbsticks away. <laughs> but those It'll are still be nice. Still sitting at my desk. You know, those uh, Raspberry Pi, uh, like Game Boy cases that you can get the Pi cases oh, for like zeros and stuff. Yes. <laughs> Imagine oh, putting so an analog bad. stick option on one of those bad boys instead sweet. of a D-pad. That could yeah. be kind of cool. Although I think traditionalists and retro gamers would be like, nah, give me the D-pad. I have to have it for that stuff. For sure. For sure. I could see that being cumbersome. There's probably a reason why they haven't ever done that. I think it just, it sticks up too far. I mean, if you look at like the Vita and the Switch, like their thumbsticks are pretty low profile. Oh, look at the 3DS. Yeah. That's the lowest profile thumbstick I can think of other than the Vita. Yeah. That's like the thumbstick on the, uh, the PSP. Yes, you're absolutely right. I know. That didn't have a second thumbstick, did it? <laughs> no, it just had the one. Yuck. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was weird. It was like a little. It was like the the laptop nub. Yeah. No. <laughs> oh, that's all the 3ds was too. Yuck. Oh yeah, yeah. The, the new 3ds or whatever it was. Yeah, whenever they launched Ocarina of Time, yep. they had the little nub on the top. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else about the state of play you want to highlight? Um, Other than yeah, the fact had, that the Last of Us some, 2 trailer looked amazing? I had some questions for you for state of play. Oh, okay. Hit me. All right. So first up, we'll start you off with something easy here. Um, out of everything they showed, what wowed you the most and why? Ooh, what wowed me the most was... Um, like I, I half expected the Last of Us cause trailer to be in there and we'd probably get a date. So I don't think that wowed me as much as... 
all the PSVR games that are coming yeah. out and how good a lot of them look. All of them look really good. Yeah, which I think that surprised me the most. Yeah, which it shouldn't at this point because they're big, big pioneers of VR mm-hmm. for home consoles. Yeah, they're they're definitely so definitely backing it. I am not surprised at all that Last of Us is not coming out until February. But boy, I'm, that I'm surprised early. it's that early to be honest with you. Yeah, I thought it was going to be a swan song for the PS4, just like the original was yep. for PS3. Yep. <clears throat> so speaking of that, that actually transitions nicely into one of my other questions. Okay. So. <clears throat> little history, little background dates for you here. So PS4, they unveiled it officially in February 2013. And okay. then it released the same year in November. Um, I looked to see if there was any like rumors regarding any like big Sony like conferences coming up. And there's something scheduled in that February area for 2020. Mm. So what, do you, what are your thoughts? Do you think this could be a unveiling of the ps5 followed by a release prior to is it just season? like a state of play type event you said it's you confirmed it's a conference live they said it was some event. kind of like show or showing showcase i don't see why not it makes sense to start building hype around whatever your next playstation console is going to be yeah. whether you call it playstation 5 playstation v whatever yeah. um you could totally show it at that point and then that would make sense for holiday launch and I'd be totally into that, but that that early February March area is already jam packed with good stuff that's coming out, yeah. And even more so that is still we know is still out there, like Ghost of Tsushima and stuff that we haven't gotten a release date for yet, and that stuff's probably not too far off of that area. It seems like the early year right after the holidays is turning into a big gaming quarter. Yeah, that is like the new like hot window for sure. And it makes sense because you got all these gift cards from the holidays that you're coming out with. Maybe you got a game that you already had, but you don't want. So you return it for something else. Like Mm -hmm. that's prime time to spend that money. Well, they're still Still kind of crappy. Yeah. Yeah. Spring break's coming up though. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's a solid time of year. Um, In with that idea of the potential of, uh, you know, holiday 2020 PS5. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think that The Last of Us Part Two is going to get the same type of remaster that the first part did, being that that was also so close to the end of PS4's life cycle? Mm-hmm. And do you think that the odds are for or against Naughty Dog kind of developing with the PS5 in mind? Um, I think the intent has always been to launch this game on PS4 because it's been in development since the first one launched. I mean, they have two teams that are working. One's Uncharted, and and I don't know what they're working on now, but um, I assume that those guys are now working on Last of Us 2 to get that prime for shipping. But I think the intent was always to release it on PS4, and I think we will get some type of remaster at some point for PS5. Like, maybe they do what they did with Last of Us. I don't think it was remastered right away. If I recall, it was like a year after the fact. Yeah, about that. Before we heard about a remaster and then it got released. And now they're giving it away for free on PlayStation Plus in October? Yep. Yeah. Along with MLB, If you haven't said? played it yet, like, get your life. Right oh, now. I might just go <laughs> back and just play through it again quickly and just kind of rush through it and just try to remind myself of the intricacies of that yeah. story because that is such a cinematic game mm-hmm. i was More talking so to hannah about it and uh just talking about like the trailer and mm-hmm. like the big character reveal and uh she was like who is that and i'm like what i was like you watched me play this she's like i really only watched you play like 
just like a small sliver of that. And I'm like, you need to. Play you literally that. would have like, seen that person a hundred percent of the right. time. But I was like, <laughs> that, I was more like, you need to play that yourself because you would enjoy it. It's a powerful game, man. That's one of the few games that made me step back and think about actually killing somebody. Yeah, that's not in real life. Such a <laughs> in the game. Like I didn't just look at a, at a at an AI character and went, "Oh yeah, I can take him out, no problem." I was like, "This doesn't feel good. Do I want to do this?" Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, and you it, can sneak through pretty much that whole game for the most part. Yeah, gritty experience for sure. Yes. Classic Naughty yeah. Dog. Well, that's about all I have worth mentioning for uh, State of Play that we haven't already really gone over. But I definitely, yeah, it was it was all right. Yeah, I think good, uh, not great. the The only other thing really that was like super notable, like tentpole wise, uh, was Modern Warfare cinematic trailer. I think we could just roll that into our next topic. Yeah, let's just roll right into Modern Warfare. Sure. Um, so they they released that cinematic single player trailer. Mm-hmm. What did you think of that? You said cinematic is was your word yeah, association. I, it looked like a a movie trailer. Like the character right? models and the animations are like, whoo, good stuff, man. Yeah, I can, I was saying to you because the all the promo art I've seen, I was like, is that a real life soap or is that just like a like a guy that they found that kind of looked like soap? Look like soap because if that's just a CG rendering and then the model that we see in game is just you know based off of previous. Yeah. soaps like that looks like a real freaking dude yeah now i think the um that female lead character uh, she she either is for sure from if you're did you ever watch the show timeless no you'd probably like it it's time travel okay um put it in my back pocket she looks exact she either is or looks damn identical to one of the actresses on that show um but that's how good it looks like you can the, the characters look good enough that you can be like okay that i'm pretty sure is so and so from you know this series um they look like real people which mm-hmm. i mean it's not like super surprising for call of duty because what they had like kevin spacey want want was uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah. in one of them and then right. uh kit harrington was in infinite warfare so yeah. it's not uncommon for them to do it but it seems like they're they're trying to go you know, very much all out with uh, like the the facial capture and their their whatever technology they're using looks pretty damn good. Yeah, it does. I am excited, and the story seems much more grounded. Yeah, it doesn't seem as Michael Bay Transformers pew pew blow up shoot bad boy quips high five. Yeah, pick up my pistol in the last ten minutes of your game and shoot the bad guy. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be very interested to see if that um, that like theming kind of sticks around, or they just like were kind of holding back on like the yeah. big set PC kind of items. I I, I don't well, think I'd be upset either way because yeah. Call of Duties generally have pretty good set pieces in their campaigns, so it wouldn't mm-hmm. you know, wouldn't be upset about it. But I wouldn't mind it if it was more grounded as well. I agree thinking about along those lines i got a question that came up for you yeah i was just thinking so i think we can talk about it more once we get into the multiplayer beta itself but call of duty seems to be trying to wear a new coat of paint mm-hmm. and it's really pushing this is something different from what we've been doing because we realize we've gotten stale and we've gotten too fast and maybe we need to slow down a little bit yeah um with that in mind how what would you like to experience from a single player campaign standpoint that captures those 
motifs, but doesn't necessarily fall back into the same old trends that we got from earlier Call of Duty games. How would you like to see that single player experience evolve? Uh, did you ever play Spec Ops the line? Yes. I think something along those lines where it's more shades of gray and less, you know, like bad guy wears a black hat, good guy wears the white hat kind of deal. Right. I think that would be really cool for a Call of Duty game where it's less like celebratory about like, yeah, like guns and hoorah, pew, pew, right. pew, America. Like, you know, dial back on that aesthetic a little bit and then, you mm. know, kind of a more like grounded, realistic take, which is kind of what they've been showing in the uh in the trailer so do you think this game's do you think this game's also going to try to push the envelope with some gritty realistic scenario like they did with the airport shootout uh in the first in one of the first modern warfare games or uh like the nuke from space like they always try to have some very impactful moment that strives up some controversy whether in the media or just amongst its community do you think it's going to try to do that again and feel forced or do you think they're getting to a point where they're starting to find that general gray tone like you mentioned um i don't know i I think i think they'll try to and i think whether or not it lands is probably going to depend heavily on what precedes it right you know if the setup's good i think the you know that the payoff of that big moment would also be good but if the setup sucks then it's going to fall flat Right. And the, and the formula for Call of Duty has always been you start here, you go here, you kill a bunch of dudes along the way, and then you watch a cinematic thing. That's really been it. It's yeah. They've just been linear, single player, like, okay, you just kind of move through here. From a gameplay perspective, what would you like to see change for the single player? I think if they they could, I think they should keep with the same like level structure as far as there being like you know different environments or like areas that you're like actually like moving through. But I think if they do away with like the the linearity and like the I don't want to say it's like a, they've been hallway shooters in the past, but it's like a hallway mm-hmm. shooter that has like, just had like yeah. a little bit extra in the peripheral that it doesn't feel like mm-hmm. you're definitely in a hallway. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if they offer up some you know like different paths to get to you know you're still going from point a to point b but you can go by way of you know point x y or z i think that would be pretty cool as well okay interesting yeah all right so getting into my first question i have for you about the actual multiplayer beta which was live from friday for ps4 owners through sunday i think i think it was actually thursday PS4 you're right. Owners. It was Thursday. Pre-order PS4 pre-orders could get in Thursday, and then right. Friday general PS4 audience, and then pre-orders from Xbox One and PC could get in on Friday, and then Saturday onwards was just free for all everybody. Right, and we played easily 38 hours of it. I give or take. So when we first started, the max level was 20, and I hit that real quick, and then they upped it on Sunday, and I went up another 10 levels in one day. That's yeah. how much we played it. That's about right. Um, first question, in your opinion, mm-hmm. what, if anything, makes this Call of Duty different from previous iterations? Um, More broad discussion topic. Yeah. But. Um, I don't know that there's necessarily a lot that makes it feel different i think the thing that really made me gravitate towards it is the stuff that felt the same um Mm -hmm. i think maybe different wise i feel like 
just from the last couple of games that they've released, I feel like it's really dialed back on just like the crazy fast pace, like running on walls and being able to jump really high and just like go, go, go. Um, mm-hmm. Movement feels a lot more slow and deliberate, which kind of harkens back to the original uh, Modern Warfare, which I think they're trying to channel that vibe that people got from that. And I think in some respects, uh, Modern Warfare 2 as well. Um, yep. the similarities to those two, which were like my first, like big, like aside from like Halo three, like gotta play this multiplayer game, like get online, get all my buddies together. And then, you know, we squad up and then we just sit there and play for hours on end. Um, yep. probably the first game in, I don't know, I would say close to like a decade, uh, where I've really felt compelled to be like, you know, get on the text with you and Bob and be like, what are you guys doing right now? Are we getting on tonight? playing yeah. all the time we getting on like i'm sure i know at least each one of us at some point throughout that weekend texted the rest of the group and was like hey you guys want to play some god <laughs> and it was great and it was that that was really you know refreshing and it took me back and i think that to me that's what i like the most about it so i think the the familiarity is uh what's most different about this one compared to the most recent entries. Interesting. I was going to say it's pace because that was the biggest thing I noticed because Mm -hmm. in past Call of Duty games that I've tried to play, I feel like I can't keep up because they're too fast paced. There's too much running, sliding, jumping, wall running, double jumping. Um, And then it's like before I've even pointed my gun at somebody, somebody's firing a nuke and ending the game. And I couldn't play catch up but this game i started to play like those and i think we even talked about it when we were playing we were like i'm just running around getting shot i have like no time to aim my weapon and it's like you gotta kind of unlearn your gameplay style and dial it back a little bit instead of just sprinting everywhere try sprinting when you're sprinting away from things and then be more methodical and slower and you know have your gun at the ready know where people are going to be coming out of corridors learn the maps and once we started doing that the gameplay got exponentially better for me agreed and then also uh, thinking back to that um whenever modern warfare came out as like the ps plus like free game and that is even i mean it's i don't want to say this one is slower than that but it has a uh that same like slower pace to it like you mentioned um Mm -hmm. when that modern warfare remastered came out and we all hopped on that um at that point i mean that game had been out for probably year and a half two years at that point so the people that were still populating those servers for the most part were either like low level people just starting off because they got it for free or by and large like these people that had prestige like two and three times and like Mm -hmm. just that change in pace like i felt a lot more like you know i was able to stand my ground i don't know if that's just because the familiarity with the game and it was like coming back to me but I think a lot of it did have to do with like the pacing, which I think they nailed it with this one. Yeah. It feels much easier to manage for some reason. I feel like I can wrap my head around what I need to be doing at any given time during a match Mm -hmm. that I don't feel overwhelmed and I don't feel rushed. But at the same time, I feel like I can get my bearings. I can, I can maybe like follow somebody for one part of the match. And once I die, I'll like just go lone wolf, but then like maybe I'll find a bigger group. And like, I just kept, changing it up and it, it just it felt really good and the the quick play modes changed enough that it felt 
fresh and like once i'd be like i don't feel like playing domination anymore we'd be playing regular tdm or then we'd go into the new hq thing that they had like i thought it was a good i had a really good time with it yeah likewise um my first question for you so going into this um what were your expectations you know were you thinking just from like the trailers that we saw that it was something that you were you coming in with a a preconceived notion that it was going to be good or did you kind of set your bar low because of you know just how crazy and fast-paced previous call of duties have been and you're just kind of like i think my expectations going into it were this will be the same flavor but with a new coat of paint Mm mm-hmm and in a lot of ways it was that and that's okay sometimes sometimes you just you just want vanilla cake and chocolate cake and that that's okay and i think what call of duty have has done is try to be everything else but call of duty at the end of the day yeah and i think if they would have just done this and said let's scrap everything we've done and how everything has evolved in in our games and let's actually get up with the generation itself start learning those life lessons of maybe it's not about running so fast maybe it is about take being a little bit more methodical and scaling things back a little bit and adding a, a sense of realism to it to kind of ground it and make it feel more uh just more fluid and it, it less less just not as quickly paced and 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 in your face and explosions and zip lines and and (laughs) high-fiving your bro and um and what you mentioned earlier really just dialing into that war is not pretty and we have a problem in our society with glorifying war so much in movies and mediums and media where we make it feel like it's a real life action film and it's not for the most part it's just kind of occupying other places and just kind of trotting around but every once in a while when SCF, yeah it's it gets pretty serious and those aren't good for anybody involved and I, i i hope that this game tries to capture that it felt like that much more um but i hope that the rest of the game kind of speaks to the little sliver that we got to play yeah Agreed. Yeah. So I, I think there was a lot that we liked about the game. Was there anything else specifically that you wanted to point out of like, this is something I really liked. I really liked that they did this. They changed this. Was there anything else that stuck out to you that you really loved that you feel the need to discuss? Um, I thought that the, uh, the gunsmith was really cool. Um, the way that they do the uh, attachment unlock. So like, and again, this is kind of showing how much I haven't played Call of Duty um, right. aside from this and like the first two Modern Warfares. Um, so previously, like you would just unlock like there was just like a set amount of things that you can un- unlock um, for each gun. And I mean, really, if you think back to Modern Warfare, it was like maybe like three or four things per gun. And that was it. You might have mm-hmm. a couple different options for sights and like maybe like a laser. And that was it. And Modern Warfare 2, they incorporated some more things. Um, but it was like a set thing that could only go on a certain part of the gun. In this one, you pretty much have five. You have five attachment spots. You can put up to five things on your weapon at any time. One of them being some type of a perk. Mm. Um, but um, you can, as you go, I think it's like I think they start you off with like six and then you unlock that first six. And then there's like a small period of time where you actually like level up the weapon. 
um, where it gives you another six and it might be like another site and you know something else so sometimes they do double up um, but they're they go on different parts of the gun like you have sights you have barrels um, stocks sometimes there's grips sometimes there's under barrel attachments but there's like a lot of variety in what you can do um, it doesn't feel as much like you know to to be good at the game like you have to unlock a weapon up to a certain point and then you have to use these attachments like i feel like with the variety that they give you um you can really build a gun so that it meets your play style like i was using the uh, m14 and it starts you off just with iron sights and if the m14 for those that may not know it's just like a semi-auto like sniper rifle that's under the marksman category in the game um i really wanted an optic that had a little bit of zoom to it. So I kept playing with it until I got the three times zoom. Cause it's like a nice in between where I could hit some longer shots, but I could also do some up close work with it if I needed to. So it was a good, like all around gun hits hard. Um, but stuff like that, where you can kind of build your gun to the type of player that you are. I thought yeah. that was really cool. And you can edit in the and- middle of a match as well. So if you put an attachment on, you're like, Oh, this, this is awful. You don't have to suffer through the next, you know, 15 minutes uh, of not using that gun or of using it and hating every second of it. You can just go into the menu and then swap it out. And then so many next respawn great. Right? Yeah. So many great quality of life improvements just yeah. in like one of the other ones that we pointed out were aiming down the sights and being able to reload your weapon while yes. you're maintaining vision down sights. Yeah. That is huge. That's yeah. huge. And the corner mounting super super good way to handle like whenever like you know most fps games on console like you don't have a way to really like lean around a corner i know uh, it's not gears of war you can't just like slide behind a barrel and like attach to it yeah and have full coverage yeah i know some games have done it where it's like contextual where if you're like basically like aiming at a corner and then you actually pull down your aim down the sights you'll peek out um Mm -hmm. or I know in Battlefield there was you could use the the gyro in the controller and like tilt it and that would lean you out and it like was not that great in Battlefield Four. No, um, it was not. the The mounting at first it felt kind of weird, um, but after like I don't know maybe half hour of using it and using it frequently, like it felt very natural to just run up to a corner, click down on the right stick post up on a corner and just kind of like peek around one way or another or if you're like holding something down um it's a great strategy because like it makes you very like low profile against the wall so that you're not just getting lit up trying to guard something or trying to be sneaky snipes and really cool such a small small little thing but like it really opens up a lot of different ways to play the game yeah i agree so you heard it here first guys the games in that podcast says that mounting is a great strategy you got to do it for at least a half an hour it's really (laughs) hard at first but if you stick with it it gets better and it helps you in the long run yes uh you heard it here yep you can have a happy ending a very happy ending hopefully uh unless your friend ends in town (laughs) (laughs) um yeah, I don't think there's anything else. My only complaint about the 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 gunsmith stuff, which again, to your point, having uh, being able to edit my guns in game in my loadouts in game is so nice. I never knew what I was going to be unlocking. I didn't know for the longest time. I figured like after every level of the gun, I had unlocked something that I could attach to it, which is always super cool. But 
it only previews some of the stuff you're going to get. But as you continue to increase the level of the gun past like 10, past 15, upwards of 20, you start getting more attachments that they just pull in and show you like, oh, now I have underbarrel attachments on this submachine gun that weren't available before, but weren't even like a grayed out option. So I wasn't sure what would be changing and evolving, which kept me going back to the gunsmith, which maybe that's what they wanted me to do. Yeah, I think possibly go back and play with my loadout. And I'm wondering why... Are they continuing to push me back to the gunsmith? Right. Because what they used to do, if you recall, they used to they flash showed the attachment you got. Yep, yep. it would be like you increased your rank, you got the silencer, you right. got the ACOG, you got the underbarrel yep. for this. Um, and it doesn't do that anymore, which I appreciate because I don't need all that noise in my HUD and my UI. Right. But it really seemed to be like, yeah, your guns went from 18 to 21. Congratulations. And be like, okay. And if you watch the match stuff, the match summaries afterwards, it shows you, you here's how you ranked up, here's what you unlocked, and here was the scorecard, yeah. just like it always does. Right. But it didn't do it in game. So, and and I was always skipping through the match summary to see the scorecard anyway, so I'd never see what I'd unlock. I don't know. I just felt like that was like you're letting me do this, but you're also not just like like even under like a mini map, like just like blip it. Just be like, oh, yeah. you got the blah 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 for this. Yeah, something. You know, I like that constant feedback. I know that's a common thing in games now, and I'm against it in some points but i do like the little it, it helps me know that even if i'm going five and 15 i'm still doing something for myself right and then i mean it also clues you into what you can actually now use instead of just like trying to figure out what you had before and what you didn't have that you now do have yeah um the last big thing with this beta that i want to talk about aside from the fact that i mean we i could say we, we both were like over the moon with it um, oh yeah the other big, big get for this game that we haven't talked about yet, surprisingly enough, is crossplay. Right. Um, so this whole beta basically it, it was non-optional crossplay. Like no matter what platform you were on, at some point you played with people that were not on your native consoles. You know, um, ecosystem. You played with, if you're on PS4, you definitely play with PlayStation players. Yeah. But you also play with Xbox players and PC players. Yep. Console um, and system exclusivity. Yes. That's how it's always been. Um, we both played. Um, we, we played on PC and on PS4. We did PS4 mainly because we wanted to get in a day early, if we're being completely right. honest. And then once we were able to jump on PC, uh, we did so. Um, we played with our friend Bob, and he was on PS4 the whole time. And I would say that overall the experience went pretty well the only big hiccup we had was with uh, voice communication which is like a known issue that they've addressed and are looking into um, but I would say in my experience aside from those hiccups at the beginning um, if you would have told me that I was playing with PlayStation owners and PlayStation owners only I would not have given it a second thought what about you what did you feel about the crossplay? There's something to be said about when you're matchmaking in the lobby and you're loading into a map and it's putting your team together and it's showing your whole squad walking and aiming the gun, which is the only animation that they do. Maybe <laughs> that'll change at some point. But seeing that and then going down the list and it actually shows this person's on uh, playing with mouse and keyboard, this person's playing with an Xbox One controller, but this person's on PC, but this person's on Xbox One and playing with an Xbox One controller, this person's on Xbox but playing with a mouse and keyboard. Like, that was such a 
it's almost like a pivotal moment for me in gaming to be like, we're finally getting there. Yeah. Like it's finally happening. We're, it's finally just you buy the one thing. And as long as your buddy has it on whatever he decides to play it on or she decides to play it on, you guys can play it together. And that is, I can't tell you how future crossplay is. And it's yet, it could have been done years and years and years mm-hmm. ago. It just, it feels so good. And I didn't notice a drastic difference when I was playing against other people. Like I didn't feel like I had an advantage in my head. I felt like I had an advantage because I feel better and more comfortable with mouse and keyboard. Sure. Um, more so than controller these days, especially. Right. But and I'm sure that there's people that fit that exact opposite bill where they're like, oh man, good thing I'm not sitting there with the mouse trying to aim. I'm good with my thumbsticks. So it really exactly. gives you but, everybody the, the best possible scenario. You know, you, you have the input you yeah. prefer, but you still have this now three times as large player pool to match make against. Which in Not a game like that. this, it seems like a no-brainer to have crossplay. You're keeping the game alive by having right. everyone playing together. The nicest part about it, though, and I can't stress this enough, is just being able to play with my friends regardless of what they have. Because now I don't have to be—I don't have to feel like an elitist because I prefer to play on PC, even though. I know I'm not being an elitist. That's just, that's my preferred hardware to play on. That's where sure. I feel I get the best performance. Mm-hmm. That's how I enjoy to play something. Mouse and keyboard gives me much more option um, and, you know, much more room for, or much less room for error. Um, and being able to play with somebody like Bob, who I know isn't going to go build a PC tomorrow just to play Call of Duty with us. It's just not a viable move for him. Mm-hmm. And be knowing that we can just, easily hop into a game together now it was a little bit of a pain in the butt to find each other get friend requests going get partied up and stuff but once we got through finding each other and becoming yeah, that's, friends that's a one-time hassle it was seamless. yeah yeah and i'm sure that's one-time hassle part of the beta was figuring out what those hiccups are so that they could be addressed exactly exactly and i appreciated that so much um uh, because it's rare that I'm gonna, I'm not gonna buy this for PlayStation. I'm definitely not. It's hard enough for me to have to tell my buddies that I used to play Destiny with on PS4. That's like, sorry, I can play the same character on PC now, and it's just a totally different game on PC. I, now, if crossplay was in something like Destiny, that would be oh, godsend. Yeah. But I think this is going to be a big enough game that will prove. Look at the numbers now, because now the guy who has an Xbox, but all his friends have PlayStation is probably now going to buy Call of Duty just so he can play with his friends and yep. vice versa. And I think more importantly, um, what, you know, these developers and publishers and then, you know, just Sony themselves, really, I guess is what I'm trying to get at is, um, you know, to play these games online on a console, you need a subscription to their online service. So if you're making sure that these people can play with whoever they want, regardless of what ecosystem they're a part of, uh, that still means dollars for them because people are going to continue to subscribe to their service. Um, case in point with me, I have not uh, re-upped my PlayStation Plus because I've been playing stuff on PC, so I know that's like you know money out of their pocket. But mm-hmm. I haven't had any games on PlayStation that I really felt compelled to play people that are on PlayStation and PlayStation only. If I was in that situation where I, you know, I'm the person that stopped paying for PS plus because they don't have anything to play with their friends or because their friends have moved on to uh, a gaming PC or they're gravitating more towards, you know, their Xbox for whatever reason. Um, 
you know, that would be something that might compel me to come back and purchase PS Plus and keep subscribing to it because I know that no matter what, where my friends are playing, I can still play with them. Yep. That's huge. Huge, 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 huge. This is the most future, future thing we could possibly have. Yeah. Should have been done a while ago. Crossplay is future. Yeah. And I think the, the yeah. one argument people would make against it is, well, you know, people aren't going to buy into their system. Everybody has their team. You know, like I would say for the average consumer, once that reveal has been made and they make up their mind if they want PlayStation versus an Xbox, like very rarely will you have someone that's going to completely go back on their decision that they've already made. Once they spend that, you know, five, six hundred dollars getting set up with their new console, they're going to feel like they want to justify that purchase and they're going to defend it to Mm -hmm. the death. So, I mean, once they buy it, they buy it. And really, it, it, it comes down to the exclusives, which, I mean, I think has been a focus anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I really, the cross place to me, as average Joe and not, you know, Sony guy in a suit, um, it seems like a no-brainer, really. Yeah. I just, I really want to see that shift to the focus being on heart, on games rather than hardware happening sooner rather than later. Yeah. Because that's what it's about. You buy the consoles to play the games. You don't buy the games to play on the consoles. Right. That's as backwards. Yep. And I and I wanted the focus to be less on. Oh well, if you're not playing Call of Duty on Xbox, I don't want to be your friend. It's like <laughs> now you can play on Xbox, and I can be on PlayStation or my PC, or I can be on my tablet for crying out loud if I wanted to, and just send in UAVs and bother people. Right. Yeah, I actually I was texting a, a couple of people that I played Call of Duty with often that I know stuck with Xbox or you know have moved to mm-hmm. PC. And I'm like, hey, did you play the beta? And someone were like, yeah. And someone were like, oh, I you know, couldn't because of work, but I'm definitely getting it. And I'm like, well, with that crossplay, like I tried it out and it was awesome. Like we need to get together and like play again. And uh, for the most part, everyone was like very into it. So right, it's nice to get the gang back together and not have to worry about who has what. Yeah, man. Thin Lizzie. The boys are back in town, you know? <laughs> well, I know we gushed a lot about Call of Duty, but I, I, it, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you, what didn't you like about it? Um, be nitpicky if you must. I, there's got to be something. I know we all we did was just gush about this game. And the day after the beta stopped... We were just texting each other like, I feel so empty. Something <laughs> yeah. was taken from me. Yeah. I don't feel good today. Um, I don't know. I think there, I feel like there's some issues with, probably with the net code. Um, there were numerous examples where I felt like I had most definitely shot somebody first and landed consecutive hits, but somehow they still were able to kill me with like the same or a very similar weapon. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, like I'm not MLG pro, so <laughs> maybe I just suck. Um, I don't know. I, I, I didn't have too many problems with it. I think, um, ground war, we didn't really talk about that. Um, ground war basically is, uh, battlefield size maps with vehicles, but you're playing with call of duty, you know, gun. Yeah, what's it called? Supremacy in battlefield ground war. Ground, not in Call of Duty. Battlefield, Conquest. Conquest, that's it. Battlefield's like core game mode. Um, It kind of felt like Battlefield light, like it was still 
super fun, but like you could definitely tell it was not as in depth as a battlefield game. Um, battlefield light. Yeah. Battlefield light, which I mean, that stuff could very well change. Like the, the things that it didn't have, like, uh, when you're riding in a vehicle in, in battlefield, like the APCs, like even if you're a passenger, like you still have like a little gun to shoot, um, mm. in ground war in modern warfare, like you're either the driver with the big giant cannon or you're just sitting in the back of the APC, which isn't necessarily fun. Yeah, pretty much. You know, you yeah. don't feel like you're really contributing. Um, I don't think that the move from, so I don't know if you knew this or not, um, in the last, I don't know if it was the, the last Call of Duty or the last couple of Call of Duties, they got away from kill streaks and they made it like point streaks. Yes. So that you could get points or get get your kill streaks or what we would refer to as kill streaks from earning points so that could be you know so many flag captures counts towards getting your UAV or you know if you're going for the yeah. big guns for the new Was that was that in Black Ops 4? I think it was. Yeah, it was it was definitely point streaks in Black Ops 4, but it's gone back That was the one to, that they also tried to introduce like heroes and stuff, right? Where you'd yeah. like play as a certain t- hero who had a class ability that yeah. was like unique to them. Mm-hmm. Okay. All um, right. It's coming back to me. But I think that for what they're trying to do with this ground war and um, all these different objective types, it they're rewarding you more for just sitting there and lighting people up than they are for you actually doing the objectives. So I think I think that system needs to be reworked, or I would hope that it would get reworked. Um, other kind of nitpicks, and this is mostly revolving around ground war because it's if I know what it's trying to be, but I also know what it's not. No, it's not right. battlefield. Um, there's no way to repair your vehicles. Yep, I was just um, going to mention the lack of classes. Yeah, and class ability. I mean, you could you could create pretty much every class in battlefield except for with weapons. You know, with weapons, yeah, yeah. but. Uh, like you, you can throw down ammo crates, but there's no like medic kind of thing that at least that we were able to unlock in the beta. The right. closest thing was like you could basically get like a little like stim pack that you could jab yourself with, but there's nothing you could give to a teammate or you know like defibrillators to revive somebody or anything like that. Which I think in in that scale of of a game type, like you need to be able to bring people back in. Uh, to those like choke points and stuff because otherwise it just boils down into a small TDM around a flag mm-hmm. and then it just rinse and repeat. Yeah. Um, changes the kind of normal like ebb and flow that you would have in a battlefield game. So I'm hoping that that maybe is just something that like hasn't been unlocked yet because the, you know, the beta limits you to what you can get. Um, but I think ground war needs it if it wants to kind of stand on its own two feet and really be taken Definitely. seriously. Um, Last thing is just like some corners that were dark were like really effing dark. Like yeah. you could not see a person there unless you had your gamma like cranked to the point where everything else just looks like garbage. What um, was the map that was um you're basically outside in the desert for the most part, but then there's a really dark cave that connects uh, yeah, the, back the cave system. The yeah. yeah. That's the, where I noticed it the most because you're coming in from bright noon sun mm-hmm. and going into a pitch black cave with minimal lighting. Yeah. I think like the, there's like simulated like eye adjustment was a little off too, because like you'd be, if you're in the cave looking outside, like outside just is like white space. Like you can't mm-hmm. really discern much 
which is not super realistic. Like I get what they're trying for, but it was like the effect was overdone. And I think they mentioned that when they were talking about uh, fixing those dark corners too. Yeah. Any nitpicks from you? No, I think the only, you basically mentioned all of mine. My only other nitpick was, um, and I get it's a beta, but the matchmaking seemed to be not matchmaking with the people I'm playing with, but just getting into a match. Yeah. We had to constantly back out multiple times, switch party hosts, quit the game, reset the game. And I know that they did like a live map update where every two hours or so they'd throw something new in there. Yeah, new game yeah. And I thought that was a cool idea, but having to like fully back out while I'm still in the midst of matchmaking to be just because the map's updated, like at least Splatoon will like just kick you to the main menu. Well, I feel like that's kind of like a damned if you do, damned if you don't thing. Cause me personally, like in Splatoon, when it would kick me out to back to like, yeah. the main menu and like force me to watch all that, like that was annoying. But I think, oh, well, that's yeah, that's I think that was more but... annoying because like you don't have the option to skip it and jump back in. Right. Um, I think it would be less obnoxious in this because it would just take you back to the main menu and it's like literally just a now part of the list. So, yeah, that's the only other thing that bothered me. That's beta woes. I I let that one. Right. Yeah. That can get brushed under the uh, rug, so to speak. For certain. Well, that's all I really have to say about uh, Modern Warfare beta. I got. Um, one more question for Ooh, you. One more question. All right, hot take. One Let's more question. It. Let's do it. So it might be a philosophical question. Oh, okay. Is is Call of Duty back? If you would have asked <laughs> me this on Monday, I would have unequivocally said yes, it's back. Mm-hmm. Uh, today, however, <laughs> in, in light of the the leaks that have been uncovered. Um, so to summarize that, so first yeah, part, not a leak. This is actually part of um, the reveal in uh, at the state of play. Um, basically, the survival mode of Spec Ops is one year exclusive to PS4 players. Now, that's not to be to be clear. That's not Spec Ops is exclusive to PS4 it's for one year. In survival Ops. mode in Spec Ops, right, which we don't right. know what Spec Ops fully encompasses at this point so it's co-op is what we know it could be a third of spec ops it could be like an eighth of spec ops we don't know um right to me with that point i i I can't even tell you what spec ops consisted of in modern warfare 2 i know that's when it was introduced i think the only one that i can remember is like fighting up a bridge and there was like juggernauts and it was like it was not fun um, I never touched it then. I mean, they, I'm sure, have changed things around and made some updates, so it might be cool now, but like, I really didn't plan on spending a ton of time in there. Like, I really see myself playing the single player and then just working my way through the multiplayer basically like we did this weekend. So like, that wasn't a huge deal for me. Like, it, it is what it is. Um, but the one that kind of like really makes me question, like, is Call of Duty back or is it just like the same old bag of cats, you know, with some new yarn? Um, mm-hmm. is this leak that came from apparently um, uh, an Infinity War developer who is very aggravated with the decisions that the powers that be um, have made on their behalf. Mm-hmm. So the leak says that they will be adding supply drops, a.k.a. loot boxes, to the game that you can buy with your COD points or whatever they have been called in the past. And uh, it's been all but confirmed that there will be actual weapons in the loot boxes 
So with that comes the conundrum of, well, is this now pay to win? Um, am I going to feel like I need to spend money in order to get these weapons in order to compete? Or is this just, you know, you know, a, a, a revenue stream for them since they're not making you pay for the map packs, as they've said. Um, they also said that there's like 300 some emotes and like uh, those like banners for your calling card and like trinkets and a bunch of other like cosmetic stuff, which they had originally said was going to be a part of it. But it sounds like the pool of items is going to be very large, and the pool of those weapon items might be very small. So, I don't. I kind of go both ways on it because, on one hand, I'm like, well, that sucks because if there are weapons that are in there and they're something that you're going to want people to pay for, like they've got to be good weapons. And then mm-hmm. I'm at the point where, like, okay, now it's it has pay-to-win elements to it. But on the flip side of that, if they're making the odds of that so low how many people are really going to actually have them? It's going to be the whales that sit there and spend, you know, hundreds of dollars on microtransactions anyways, which they would do regardless. Um, is it really going to affect me that much? I typically do not buy into li- li- uh, lint boxes, loot boxes. <laughs> I don't buy lint boxes either because that's gross. <laughs> right. Um, I don't typically buy into loot boxes. So for me, like not, it, it doesn't hurt me. I'm used to being like a pretty so-so player at Call of Duty, so if there's like a handful of people that have these weapons in the game uh, that are just like mopping the floor with them, I don't know that I would be like that hurt about it, but if it's like everybody who buys their loot boxes, you know, can get one very easily, then I'm going to be like, okay, well now this has just become pay to win, and that would be frustrating to me. So um, to kind of tie a bow on that question, Monday, I would have said yes. Today, I'm skeptical. A follow-up question. Oh, oh. Do you actually believe any of this is real? See, that's that's tough. Do you really think an aggravated Activision employee released sensitive information about Call of Duty becoming a pay-to-win loot box multiplayer extravaganza so far away from release to allow Activision time to go, we've heard you, we understand your woes, we're not having loot boxes, it's only cosmetic, and everybody <laughs> goes, yeah, finally, the Call of Duty I've always wanted, and then and then sales skyrocket, and then everybody rides away in the set. I'll tell you what, I would, I like that tinfoil hat theory. Not that it's really tinfoil, because, like, I mean, I, I feel like every... Oh, dude, I'm, like, at Alex Jones level of tinfoil. <laughs> <laughs> right. Black helicopter CIA! <laughs> Um, <laughs> and then the stream goes down. Um, yeah. No, I. it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, I feel like, you know, with leaks and social media and the way this stuff kind of spreads nowadays, I feel like more often than not, those type of things are very calculated and purposeful. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if they just did this because they're like, I bet you we could get away with it. Let's see what people have to say about it. Or, and if they complain enough, right. we'll pull the plug. Right. Where they're like, yeah. we have it like, we have it ready to go, but we don't have to necessarily add it to the game at this point, um, right? Because clearly it wasn't in the beta. That game exists. All right. forty nine gigs of it is right. available. Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you what. If that is the scenario, I, I truly hope that that's the scenario. Just them testing the waters because right now people are pissed off about it. And I'm hoping they're pissed off enough that Activision's like, all right, let's we'll dial but, it back. Like, but really regardless, with it. 
people are now talking about it. Yeah. People were talk- people were so high and positive on it and now it's the only thing that media outlets are reporting on. I I am very cynical and I have a very hard time believing this is happening the way that it's being portrayed to everybody else. Yeah. I have a very very hard time that somebody who has a very nice job at Activision on the dev dev team for Call of Duty would have the fortitude to just start leaking information like this without without knowing that his job would be in jeopardy. Well, I mean, it's not it's not unheard of. It's, not, it's definitely we'll this happened way. before. I don't think in either case, angry employee or purposeful leak. I don't think either of them are out of the question. I think both are just as valid theories as the other. Right. I just have a very hard time believing that with all of the loot box controversy of it's gambling, it needs to be regulated by the state. These states have already passed bills to make them illegal. All game companies must submit their their numbers for the chances and probabilities and make those transparent to the end users who are buying them. Amidst all of that, they still have the fortitude to come out and be like, yeah, this is happening whether you guys like it or not. And it's just going to be the way it is. And yeah, there's going to be stuff that's locked behind it that you cannot unlock in game that you have to pay real world money for because you will never accumulate enough COD points in your lifetime, even if you prestige four times in one week to be able to afford the chances to be able to get this. So it's going to be a very rare thing that people will be very good with once they get it in the wrong hands and they'll be unequivocally good with it and unbeatable. And then everybody will complain about it. I highly doubt (laughs) that is their play here. If it is, then I'm, then I'm shocked. Color me shocked because I feel like it, even EA couldn't, Get rid of that press. Yeah. Do you really think Activision's going to handle it any differently? Valid. Activision, arguably bigger than EA at this point. Yeah. But still. I think either either scenario just smacks of somebody in a suit trying to figure out the best way to make their dollars. And they're just, at this point, going between, is it in the microtransactions and nickel and diming them? Or is it giving them the perceived goodwill and boosting sales because we've gone back and we've listened to them when they really never planned on having it there in the first place i don't know i i, I think it's wouldn't have i think it's all the work i think you're all being worked and i think uh i think in the middle of october maybe like a week or two before release somebody from activision will say we've heard you guys we hear your pain no more loot boxes everything's in the game it only cause or there will be loot boxes but it's only going to be cosmetic stuff all those guns have been added to the, the pool like it's going to be something like that. i i if it's not it's going to be very hard for me to give this game 60 bucks yeah i hope that's the case i don't i don't want i, I, I want this so to too. be a good call of duty game <laughs> Like I never, I, really I never do. thought I'd say for five hundred, Alex. I want this to I be know. a great Call of Duty game. It is really good. I like to a point where it feels like a new game. And I know I kind of, you know, I, I've, I've asked you the stupid question of is Call of Duty back? And like, well, like it, it feels like that. It feels like that shift in first person shooter that Call of Duty introduced, and now it's like, okay, we went silly zany. Now let's get a little bit more serious here and i really appreciated it for that because it made it let me hone in on play styles i never tried before because everything felt so well balanced and i just find it very hard to believe that they're just gonna 
she muddy all like of that, that hard work and water with stuff like that. I don't know. I, maybe uh, I don't know. I don't know. Time will tell. Time will tell. All right, so let's uh, let's move on here to our final topic before we completely wrap up the show. Um, yes, sir. And that would be Link's Awakening Switch. Link's Awakening Switch. Yeah. Uh, I'll let you start this one off. Yeah. Um, hmm. Which of my questions do I want to start off with? Um, we'll just take it from the top. So I know we said in previous episodes that this was my mm-hmm. first game and that you had also played it on Game Boy. Um, yes. How do you think it holds up? Do you think it stands on its own as a 2019 game or do you think it's just a good example of a remake in general? Um, I think after having played through this that... Did, did you finish it? Uh, I'm on the last second to last dungeon. I'm on level 8. Nice. nice. Yeah. Uh, which, the more I played it, uh, I think I mentioned to you earlier in the week that I was like, I don't think I ever did this. I don't think I ever, I don't think I ever got this far. But then I kept playing it and I was like, no, I remember this. No, I remember this too. And I, I don't, I can't tell what I played and what I didn't play because the last time I played this game was probably on my Game Boy Color at Scott Pool when I was in <laughs> third grade fourth grade so take that with a grain of salt but um i think this game absolutely stands on its own but it's also i think it's a very important zelda game because it really helped refine the zelda formula so much so that a lot of it inspired ocarina of time after it and so on and so forth and what this game does between because this was the fourth Zelda game that we got because there was the original Zelda, uh, Zelda Two: The Adventure of Link, and we got Link to the Past on Super Nintendo, and then this game was in development as a passion project uh, of just some people that were like, "Could we do a Zelda game on the Game Boy?" And this is what they ended up coming up with, which is why there's so much weird stuff in this game. There's so many other Nintendo characters and sprites and things that are shared amongst other games like Goombas, Kirby's, uh, the the. the shy guys the lizard people etc um that's why Terran looks like mario um it's all all that all that stuff and i think that's really cool there's also a picture of princess peach in the game i did get that (laughs) um how about that but um it did so much for the franchise and it's got just some of the best dungeon layouts yeah like some of the dungeons are just so well laid out and then to think that this was almost identically translated from the Game Boy iteration. The only thing they've really the graphics and maybe added a few gameplay quality of quality of life improvements. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's pretty much the exact same game with a new coat of paint. A yeah. very, very, very nice coat of paint. Yeah, it's a super faithful uh, remaster. Like, it, it stays the same more than it changes, I would say. And the stuff that it does change is, is like a smart change that makes sense for a 2019 game. Yeah, and it really ref- helped refine the... I think Link to the Past did a very good job of this, of the I can't go here and thing, mm-hmm. and now I know I can go back and get to this part. But even with Link to the Past, there's a lot of places that you can go without critical items. Right. And this game is very, very good about you are stuck in this 4x4 four four square until you find this item specifically so you're never really totally lost until you start to open up the whole world but even then like i said i'm on level eight which is the dungeon that's way up in the northwest corner of the map Mm -hmm. you can't you literally cannot get there 
until you have the hook shot, which you don't get until like level six. So even then, there's like very specific things that you need to do in order and have certain items that you don't get until critical points of the game. So it does a very good job of closing you off, not making you feel lost, and able to manage the open world because it's not a big open world, but it's a very dense open world. Yeah. And I really appreciate it for that. Um, this, this game also did, I think, the best work, like laying that groundwork that I think is like a very core Zelda mechanic that you really don't see that often like prior to um with with those items that you get in the dungeon like the bosses require that you have that yes it's all you know when you go into that boss okay i just got you know the hook shot so i'm gonna have to do something with the hook shot um Mm -hmm. there's a couple of bosses in link to the past that do that but in link's awakening literally every single boss that you fight requires you to use your newest item in in some fashion in order to in a very cool way most of the time yeah yeah and a lot of the bosses don't even follow the three hit zelda structure of oh i hit i got three downs and as long as i get enough sword some of the mini bosses don't follow that structure either no though remember who's the genie boss i think it's that level four or level five but he starts out uh, out of the vase he goes into the vase you to knock the vase down, pick it up, throw it against the wall, and even then you have to do that three times before the whole thing breaks, and then he's totally out of the vase, or the magic lamp, whatever you want to call it. Then he's going around the thing, duplicating himself, and you got to hit him three or four more times in a whole second phase of the fight. And that's just midway through the game. Yeah, That was unheard of for Zelda back then. Game Boy, no less. Game Boy game. Your, Your green and darker green screen. So this kind of this kind of falls into the first question that I had written here. So maybe it's worth just asking while we're talking about it. My question to you was going to be what makes Link's Awakening an important enough game in the Zelda franchise to warrant a remaster and was this something that we actually needed? Um so I think we kind of pretty much covered why it's an important game, why it needs yes. to be remastered, you know, just the the way that it kind of gates you with the items and it makes you use them on the boss battles, I think is really important. Um, I think a lot of the like kind of Zelda tropes kind of really dug their hooks in, in this game. So yeah. I think it's a very important like milestone in that franchise where we've kind of refined it to the point where we get this great, huge expansive game in a link to the past, but it still just has like a little bit of something that it needed and then Link's Awakening because it's on uh, by necessity on a smaller scale um, it packs in all that stuff and it really hones in on using those items and using them uh, totally. in a big way mm-hmm. um, did we need this remaster we'll put it this way um, I think you kind of summarize it very well whenever you were saying did I do this part I don't think I did oh wait I did no maybe I didn't we're far enough removed from it I think we're at like that perfect point where yeah. the last time that most people that remember this game had played it, it's far enough removed from your memory that it's not just like going through the motions. And it also is introducing this great game to a newer generation who might not pick it up for, you know, uh, I know it was on DS on virtual console, but they may be kind of yeah. shy away from it because, you know, it doesn't look the most high fidelity compared to what they can play otherwise. So mm-hmm. uh, I do think it was a, a logical and needed remaster yeah 
No, I agree. I think it's very important that we have this game made because I don't think it's been, like you said, readily accessible to us to actually appreciate it for what it was when it came out. Because it really it, it is a master class in the Zelda formula. Yeah. I think it's the game that, like you said, not only did it define where the genre went moving forward for a very long time, but it also a lot of the Zelda tropes that some of us kind of scoff at these days and we want less linearity and want more open world Breath of the Wild style stuff came from this game. Yeah. Started sure. with this game because it was so it's, it was a way to hold the player's hand and not make them feel overwhelmed in a world where they could go anywhere and do anything, but maybe we weren't ready for that in terms of our culture. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Um, one of the other questions I had is, what has been changed in this game, Link's Awakening, for better or worse, and what could they have done differently slash better? Um, I haven't really come across anything that was like hugely like egregious to me, like that I didn't think needed to be in there. Um, the biggest changes that I think they have made that I really love is now that they have more buttons to do assign to dedicated items. Um, your Pegasus boots, Pegasus boots, the shield and Mm -hmm. something else. I can't think of it off the top of my head. Um, uh, but I mean, even just the, oh, and the, the power bracelet, those three items. Oh, yeah. So you, in, on Game Boy, like you really only had two buttons, two to buttons, assign, right? And you had your sword was assigned to one of them. So if you wanted to sword and shield fight, you had to have your two buttons taken up by your sword and your shield. Um, if you wanted to use the power bracelet, you had to unequip your sword or your shield so that you could lift a pot up, which that's like a pretty, uh, basic Zelda action to lift up a pot in somebody's house and smash it on the ground. Um, so giving that its own dedicated button made sense. Pegasus boots, same deal makes sense to give it its own button shield makes sense to give it its own button. Um, so those little like quality of life changes made sense. You know, they make good use of the modern hardware without really detracting from what the original game was trying to get across. So, um, I think those are like the biggest changes that I can think of off the top of my head, aside from obviously, you know, the, graphic fidelity being better um but i really haven't run any, run across anything that i didn't like change wise how about you did you come across anything that like rubbed you the wrong way that rubbed me the wrong way or maybe not maybe you disagreed with or would have preferred to have seen it implemented in a different way um no not really actually i've been pretty i pretty quiet about the game there's nothing i'm like the only time i ever like get disappointed when i'm playing the game or like even the least bit upset it's just in those dungeons man those dungeons are hard and they get harder and i know that dense with enemies too they are very dense with enemies and when you start getting into like like i think it's the the uh, level seven the eagle the evil eagle Mm -hmm. um yeah with all the orange and blue switches all over the entire thing and you learn to jump on top of the switches when they're engaged so that you can get like a step up and be able to jump over across those and get to yeah. new areas while you have some other disengaged like that dungeon not looking up a strategy guide and just having to trial and error your way into it i was like this feels like game boy zelda all over again like i'm just doing things and just the game itself was always very poor at helping you 
get to the next thing because it wasn't always the logical next step. Right. They always tease that when you pick up a wind instrument where you should be going next, but that's not always where you need to go next. It's where the next dungeon is, but you might have to go to Mabe Village first. You might have to go down to the Animal Village. You might have to go down to the beach. You might have to... And it's like, oh yeah, like you can do these things, but you need that one song from the Ocarina, and in order to do that, you need magnifying glass in order to get the magnifying glass you have to go through the whole fetch quest of giving everybody the items that they need but you can't do all that until you have these items so like you don't really know anything about that fetch quest that fetch quest is absolutely necessary you have to do that to finish the game but it's very bad about telling you like hey you have the broom now you have to know in your head who uses a broom in the game and where is that person and of course they're not in the place where they need where they normally are of course they're in a brand new place and if you happen to just not stumble upon that place so there is some like open world exploration that they still do but the one improvement about this game that has made it much more bearable experience in my opinion is the mini map if you guys remember the mini map from the Game Boy game, it's literally just box grids showing you terrain. Mm-hmm. This game has every detail down to where statues are, where ledges are, where you can fall off ledges, where you can climb up ladders. It has all the owl statues are on there that you have to engage. It has everything on there. Yeah. Yep. So you you can even just look in the mini map and just plout your rot and route and say, oh, okay, I have to go up to left to down i can go down through the forest and get back to Mabe village because i don't have the thing to get past it here i don't have the hook shot to get there yet it's a lot of that and i have found that to be an absolute godsend personally yeah but i also love the the introduction of the just the directional movement i don't recall there being a lot I, i recall there being directional movement in the game boy color it wasn't just left right up down like the original zelda was but being able to even slash my sword directionally is game changing in a game like this because it used to only be you can only swipe up swipe left down right but the diagonal movement plus sword now even jumping diagonally is just so nice yeah there's a lot of spots where like you shouldn't be able to get to but if you can if you jump in the right spot diagonally like you can get there yeah, that level seven dungeon has with all the switches I was talking about with the evil eagle. I don't know if you've gotten there yet in your playthrough. Not yet, but, but I'm familiar with it from. Yeah, it's the one that you have to pick up the giant ball and you have to throw it at the pillars to lower it so yeah. you can get to the fourth level. Um, that dungeon has so many areas where you're like, you, it, it's definitely not a one for one jump. It's not telling you, hey, use the feather and jump over this spot. Maybe jump down to the right a little bit and you probably could catch the lip and get where you need to go mm-hmm. but I was like but that's the only way to get there at the end of the day what would have been the logical way to do that and that dungeon is specifically hard because you have to leave that giant ball in areas and then backtrack to get back to an area where you can go pick up the ball again and you have to like blindly throw it over stuff that's a hard dungeon man yeah brilliant design for a handheld system when you really think about it right I think a lot of the reason that some of the puzzles are so like complex like that is because they had they were working around their limitations. They had to make the game, you know. Yeah, and they just did this in their free time. Yeah, <laughs> and they were just like, "Oh, this wouldn't it be cool if we did something like this?" And it totally changed Zelda, and I love that. Yeah, agreed. Totally cool. Um, yeah. Question I have for you: um, So, Breath of the Wild, as we know, kind of shook up the formula big time. Um, pretty much did away with that idea of going around to different dungeons and getting these items in favor of uh you know the big go anywhere open world with 
a couple of tools that accomplish a lot of things. Right. Um, now that we've come back around to this modern version with probably the most like quintessential Zelda item kind of tropes, um, has this changed your thoughts on what you want to see out of Breath of the Wild 2? Or maybe to, to paraphrase that, what can Breath of the Wild 2 learn from Link's Awakening? It's funny you say that because I actually had this thought today where when I was coming up with my questions, um, I thought, you know, this is a really pivotal moment in the Zelda franchise because we've gotten a game that just completely flipped the formula on its head. In fact, it, it just threw it out the door and said, just do what you want. Like you said, here are the tools that you need to get by for the most part. Now you can leave this little island that we put you on. Now you can go really do your thing and explore. And there are people still playing that game to this day and finding new things that a lot of people didn't even know about. Yeah. Um, and I find that fascinating. But there's also your tried and true Zelda games like this one that come and show you that like this formula still works like 20 plus years later this thing still holds true you can definitely still get a lot of enjoyment out of the mindless i can't go here without this thing or i know that i can't traverse what i need to do now but maybe there's going to be something i get that's going to be new and shiny and that'll change my my the way that i play the game from then on out um and i think that we're now at a point where to call back to the Zelda encyclopedia where we've split the timeline and we're now going to get games that are much more open world friendly, less linear breath of the wild stuff, which is why they're calling it breath of the wild Two instead of legend of Zelda. Ganon's arm revenge is green. <laughs> watch out. Uh, awful. Yeah. It's arm dream. Watch out. Yeah. Watch out. Um, the claw, <laughs> um, <laughs> The claw. The claw. And then uh, I think that, but we've also proven that there's a huge market for just a good old school Zelda formulaic do dungeon one, do dungeon two, do dungeon three, do dungeon four, do dungeon five, blah, 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 beep, get it. So I think there's a market for those. And maybe we've gotten to a point where now we'll get one year, we'll get the Breath of the Wild style game. And then maybe another year, we'll get um, like the tabletop isometric. Zelda games. And I think there's a market for both of them. I think it would be really cool. Um, that's the best thing about Zelda is it's been through so many different artistic changes, but it's also been through so many gameplay changes and has evolved and also shown that it can devolve and be just as important. Um, I think there's an area for both of them to live in harmony. Yeah. I mean, there's. I think the the sales of each of them. It's not just because it's a Zelda game. I think there's a demand for both, like you said. So that'd be an interesting approach to it. Do do the big open world, and then your more kind of smaller, quote unquote, formulaic type of game. Yeah. The following year, and I can't. I can't reiterate how big of a deal it is to get a direct sequel to a Zelda game. That yeah. is a huge deal in terms of the Zelda franchise because before that. It was just like, oh, this is the same link. And we're like, is it? Or is it the same asset? Well, this is a completely different time. We're in a completely different place. And these are completely different things. And it wasn't until within the last, what, five, six years? Longer than that. Ten years, maybe? That with Skyward Sword, they really put 
uh, all of those myths to rest and we're like, this is going to be the unequivocal start to right. Zelda. This is how it's going to be. And it's going to be the James Bond 007 of 007 is just a moniker for the guy who is taking on the name of James Bond at the time. He is an agent of the M6 of MI6 and he will take on 007. Whereas link is going to be the name of the hero who is chosen at the time he is needed to defeat the evil that comes out every so many years, this will continue to happen. And this is why the Zelda timeline exists because they're all taking place in a similar parallel universe, but in all of these different iterations of the game, you're having evil is reincarnated as Ganon or Ganondorf. Zelda is a descendant of her bloodline and the power of wisdom or the, the Triforce of wisdom Ganon, who is taking on the Triforce of power. And then you have the hero who always takes on the Triforce of courage. And those three come together and they reset time basically. And I, I thought that was really cool to introduce that idea because now you've set yourself up to do whatever the heck you want. Yeah. You can make an open world Zelda game as long as it follows those three key important things. It's right. still Zelda. Yeah. They and even in this game, very basic this game framework. Has, they haven't written themselves into a corner with it. It was smart. Right. And this is one of the very few games that doesn't even deal with the Triforce. It's not yeah. even mentioned. Um, in fact, I think the themes in this game are very much up there with Majora's Mask as some of the darker Zelda mm -hmm. games. This yeah, is a very is, dark I think this Zelda is the game. First, like dark Zelda game we've got. I think like right around like the halfway point is where the bosses start saying like, "No, like don't wake up the windfish, or this place is gone, or done for." Right, Which, and then it, even when you dark. yourself stumble into the ancient ruins and you read the tablature about the windfish and who he is and what he's done and what he's currently doing. Um, it's got some pretty dark themes. I, I wouldn't say it's as dark as Majora's Mask. I think Majora's Mask is uh, the darkest Zelda yes, game sure. by far. Um, but I think this one does definitely... a much better job of masking its darkness under a, yes. a very happy coat of paint. Mm -hmm. I think there's also an argument to, yeah, absolutely. Um, but I think there's an argument to be had here that this Zelda, um, oh shoot, I totally lost my thought because you made such a good point. And I was like, right. yeah, they put it in like a toy box theme. It's like, it's like ska music. It's nice and happy, but like the themes are kind of dark and you're like, well, why am I dancing to this? <laughs> <laughs> Shout out real big fish. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, it'll come back to me. I'll give you, I'll give you a question. Watch. I remember. Sure. Um, would you consider this a remake or a remaster, Brandon? Um, I would say a remake. To me, remaster is you uh, you have the game, you have the assets, and you just kind of like up-res, make it look a little bit prettier with minimal effort, but this is like a true from-the-ground-up remake where they've taken the blueprint laid out by whatever the predecessor was they've really refined it and they've brought it up to modern standards so i would consider this to be a remake i would consider this to be a remaster hmm. Interesting. and my argument is because although the game was made from the ground up new core gameplay new mechanics it wasn't you know a reskin of the previous game at the end of the day, it is the previous game for all intents and purposes. Yeah. It's the same game, same dialogue, same 
walkthrough, same everything. The only thing that's changed is it's a different game with different mechanics on a different system. Yeah. Granted, albeit a very, very, very nice overhaul. Right. But I think, I think at the end of the day, tried and truly so, it it is Link's Awakening. Probably why they didn't really throw a remaster remake name on the title True. we were chatting about before the podcast. I think the the remake remaster, I think those, that verbiage is just very it's gray. I think it's I think it's loaded to be honest with you. Oh, yeah, kind of. I mean, so whenever just to clarify my thoughts on it. So whenever I think of a remake versus a remaster, um a remaster to me is kind of like just equivalent to like just like an asset flip. Like you have yeah. everything there, like you just do a little bit of work enough so that you can be like, "Yep, it's a it's a new thing, new SKU, ship it out, send it for full price." Whereas I feel like a remake is a lot more like curated um, there's a lot. I just feel like one, one to boil it down, one has a lot more work into it than the other, and that's strictly yeah. what I'm basing it off of. Like I feel like I totally agree. Was more of a labor. But then of I look at just. But then I look at something like uh, Resident Evil Two, which was by by far a remake. We both agree mm-hmm. because the core game itself was just drastically changed. The story yeah. was changed. Everything about the game was changed, and it was kind of modernized and brought up a little bit. Um. And I didn't feel that way with this game. It, it's it's funny because this is one of those instances where you're playing the game and you're like, this oddly enough plays like I remember it, even though I know for a fact this is a completely different art yeah. style. and all. But it's also very nostalgic, which is why I mentioned, and I kept mentioning, I was like, I've definitely done this before. Like, I know this boss because I know what to do here and I'm not even thinking about it. Yeah. Is it really just that clear and good of a design or am I just remembering some buried subconscious memory of how to beat Link's Awakening without looking at a strategy guide? It's weird. It's definitely a topic of discussion, I think. Hmm. But what I was going to say to my point earlier was... um, I think this game is so special in the Zelda franchise because you can remove all the Zelda moniker from it and it's still an awesome game. Yes. You could not be a Link. You could just be George the guy on the island and if the game plays the exact same way, it's totally fine. It's still a great game. Agreed. Well, I think that about wraps up for me for what I have to say on uh, Link's Awakening. Anything else you want to add? to the conversation um did it live up to the hype for you brandon are you enjoying it yes absolutely no question yeah. to the hype for me would you recommend it yes if you've whether you've played it or haven't played it it's a, it's a great zelda game no matter how you slice it if you like zelda if you'll like this have you tried any of the um dampy uh dungeon building stuff i know that's a big addition yeah, to the I, game that they I added did the uh the like the first tutorial one i think i'll probably come back around to it later on yeah, I'm not too high on it. Some replay value. I mean, it's, I'm not eh. super interested in it. It'd be cool if I could share my dungeons and yeah. be like, hey, Brandon, get through my dungeon. If it was easier to share the dungeons, I think it would be a lot cooler. Yeah, I agree. But I think this is a starting point in feelers for maybe something maker. more Zelda makery in the future. Give it to me. I want it. Yeah, that could be cool. That could be really cool. Yeah, I'd be down for that. But no, I like it too. I'm having a great time with it. Um, I think it's a very faithful recreation and reimagining of a very important Zelda game that often gets overlooked in these discussions. And hopefully, 
brings it to the forefront of Zelda discussions when people start talking about great Zelda games. Um, I definitely forgot how good the game was and just even just the themes in general. Yeah. Um, it's absolutely worth a look. Um, it's even worth going back if you have it for the original Game Boy Color um, and you don't feel like paying 60 bucks, go dust off your old Game Boy Color and give it another playthrough. Yeah. I think it still holds up. Agreed. I think no, what no it matter is. What, wait, which version of it you play, I think you're going to have a great time. Yeah. Just don't forget to go to the uh, graveyard and uh, do the color dungeon because yeah. that's in there and they're not going to tell you to go there otherwise. Unless you just smash that book off the shelf. That's our uh, that's our pro tip. <laughs> <laughs> go to the graveyard. Yes, sir. Um, anything else, Brandon? I think it's about time to tell the folks where they can follow us. Well, clearly, if the folks who were with us live were watching us, they'd know that we'd be on twitch.tv slash the games nat podcast. That's the games NAT podcast. You could also catch us at Reggie's House Podcast.com, uh, affiliates with Reggie's House and other Reggie's House podcasts, such as uh, Greedo Shot First a podcast about star wars all things star wars and anything even freaking related to star wars and also the rust belt roosters a pittsburgh penguins podcast that should be gearing up soon uh after my discussions with the man in charge of reggie's house um you can at, also at email us that discussion took place no less <laughs> yeah at, at the actual ppg paints <laughs> arena um which is also where i solicited a buttload of feedback that i needed about our podcast um <laughs> You can also email us if you want to get in touch with us, ask us any questions, share reviews of your own. Uh, if you have any thoughts, concerns, opinions, ideas, or questions, you can email us at the games. Is it gamesnet podcast at gmo.com? Uh, it is the GNA podcast. GNA. Yeah. Yeah. GNA podcast, right? That's the Gulf November Alpha podcast at podcast gmo.com. Gmo. <laughs> um, facebook.com you can catch us we've got a youtube channel now a new youtube channel where we are uh twitch stuff since twitch doesn't keep things around too too long um so you can catch us there next day you can catch the audio version of this podcast uh anywhere uh sorry we were late on the episode this week but we'll be trying to get those up on fridays yeah, as best we can lots of stuff going on lots of stuff going on week. these days so bear with us please yes um yeah, so check out the YouTube channel. There might be some more stuff coming there in the future. We'll definitely keep you guys abreast of that info as it comes out. Otherwise, Brandon, I don't think there's anything else. Is there anything else you want to share with the kids at home? Um, nope, I think that's about it. I think we can just uh, you know remind everyone that uh, when it comes to these games, you know, we're just kind of giving our opinion on things. We're not the end-all, be-all. We're just a couple average Joes. No connection to... Uh, really anything emphasis of any importance average um <laughs> so you know take what we say with a uh, a grain of salt and really i would say consider your own opinion because at the end of the day the only opinion that matters is your own we'll see you guys next week <laughs>